0: Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner, and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So, welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Welcome to episode 28. This show is called Increasing Your Self-Worth to Grow Your Net Worth, and we will be speaking to Nancy Levin. The truth is that you can have the best financial strategies in the world, but they are not helpful if you're getting in your own way. Beliefs about yourself and about money can cause you to unconsciously sabotage yourself. A lot of people have these beliefs and they're not even consciously aware of them. Beliefs like money is the root of all evil. You can't be spiritual and make a lot of money or more money, more problems. These beliefs and also beliefs about your own worth dictate your financial life. So in this interview, we dive deep. I even go personal. You know me, I always go personal. I share my own experience. Nancy is a great coach, and I am sure you're going to enjoy this show. Let me quickly mention our sponsor, which has been our sponsor for the last 29 episodes, but I never talk about it. That's the TheTappingSolution.com. That's my day job. It's my heart, my passion. I teach tapping, I love it, and if you are new to it, go to thetappingsolution.com. You can get a free download and audio of a tapping meditation to tap in the morning and evening, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you've never heard of tapping, you have to check it out. It has transformed my life, and I think it will transform yours. So check that out, thetappingsolution.com, and enjoy the show. Nancy, thank you for being with us. I'm so happy to be here, Jessica. Thank you. We always have so much fun together, so I have no doubt (laughs) we're going to have fun. It's uh, true. During this interview. So I just finished your new book. Congratulations. Thank you. So it's called (laughs) Worthy, Boost Your Self-Worth and Grow Your Net Worth. So I am going to start with the absolute most obvious question, but I think it's (laughs) always good to start with that, the obvious question, which Mm -hmm. is what does your net worth have to do with your self worth? So
1: where this sort of mashup of net worth and self worth begins is in childhood. So it really begins with our limiting beliefs and our underlying commitments that get rooted in when we think we're not good enough, or we're not enough. We also fear that will never have enough. So we start operating with this sort of zero-sum game that if others have, we won't. Or even if we have, then others will go without. And this starts showing up in terms of love, energy, time, money. And as you know, in the book, I talk about net worth not just being about our bank account, net worth really being the full richness the full yumminess the full juiciness of life on all levels
0: right I love that was it Chris Rock that what was that quote it's like you, was it wealth is not about how much money you have it's about how many choices
1: yes something exactly
0: something yeah like something that. it is something like that I, I don't I have the memorized oh quote. I have it here um <laughs> Let's see. Wealth is not about having a lot of money; it's about having a lot of options. Options. Yeah, Yeah. that's so true. And I
1: think I think that's a big thing. Like that, if you have high net worth, you have an abundance of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's that's a really important thing to be on the lookout for because I think so many of us start feeling trapped and believing that we don't have choices, but we do
0: and oftentimes before we dive deep into this type of work i think there's like a, a level of denial for many people like this this thought of oh this is a cute idea but i just need a good financial strategy Mm-hmm. Why is the exploration of our childhood beliefs, our own self worth, so essential when it comes to money, um, and, and an important place to start before we go into the financial strategies?
1: You know what I have found, and I found it with myself, and so many of clients I coach. You know, if you if you just sort of uh, override the internal inquiry and go right into sort of let's say financial planning or investing or or whatever it is around money pieces there is it's like there we're missing a step because what's really in the way of us being able to grow abundantly is this rock of belief that we keep sort of banging our head against these old beliefs and the excuses we make and the commitments that we're still holding from childhood that are actually keeping us from having what we say we want. So we continuously find ourselves drawing toward us situations and circumstances that don't actually provide us with what we're wanting. Mm -hmm. You know, what starts to happen is we think, we think, it's so much easier to blame something outside of us. That's what I was going to say. So it's easier to blame like the stock market or it's easier to blame a financial, you know, planner or advisor. But I don't I'm not talking about, you know, turning this inward and blaming ourselves. I'm actually talking about cleaning this out and gutting this out so that the internal landscape is more clean and clear and receptive because that's the other thing. So many of us are our havingness level is so low you know mm-hmm. we're actually contracted around the idea of receiving and i really want to support an expansion there
0: right i was going to say that one of the phrases that you have that i really love is the magnetism of beliefs so mm-hmm. looking at the beliefs as a magnet towards the experience we end the experiences we end up having
1: it's it's really true you know these these shadow beliefs these limiting beliefs that form in childhood that are created because we're too young to process and digest what's happening on a in a healthy way we start drawing conclusions about ourselves and these are the conclusions that sound like i'm not enough i'm not good enough i'm not lovable something's wrong with me But what I have found is that at the root of all of these is the fundamental belief, I'm not worthy. And it shows up with, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of time. I'm not worthy of freedom. And again, this idea that we aren't putting ourselves in the mix. So many of us are abandoning ourselves for the sake of another. We're putting everyone else ahead of us. It's all the people pleasing. It's all the seeking external gratification, seeking the external accolades and validation when the truth of the matter is that whatever we're seeking externally needs to be resolved internally first. So this idea around worthiness is that we've been putting our our worthiness in the hands of others for so long that it's time to reclaim our own worth and value, not allowing others to determine it for us. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you share a lot of stories. And a lot of these stories in the book go back to people's experiences as children and Mm -hmm. the way that their family interpreted money. And so a lot of these things are passed down. What do you find are some of the most you know, you, you know, unworthy. You said unworthiness is like is the the deepest one. But before mm-hmm. we even get that, as we're exploring <laughs> our childhood, what are some of the most common uh, beliefs that can hold us back that we pick up from our parents?
1: Oh, I mean, it's very, you know, very simply that there isn't enough money to go around. I mm. can't make a living doing what I like to do. I can't. I can't work for myself. Um. But there's also, interestingly enough, it goes to the other side. There are beliefs around people who have money. You know, people who have money are dishonest. People who have money are greedy. You know, people who have money are, um, you know, so that they're, you know, whatever it is. But it's these negative connotations that start loading into around people who actually have money. So, again, that's a belief that I don't want to be that. So let me keep myself in a place where I'm living paycheck to paycheck or living hand to mouth or whatever that looks like. And then there's also beliefs around, even though, you know, the whole American dream thing of, you know, the parents wanting their kids to be able to do better. There's also a lot loaded in for kids not wanting to actually outshine their family. Mm Yeah,
0: yeah. As I was reading this book, I had my own aha moment, if I may share.
1: You may. (laughs) I'm excited to hear that. With
0: my financial beliefs. Well, so we just bought a new house, and it's Mm -hmm. this beautiful house. It's a very big house, and it has a swimming pool, and it's just, it's breathtaking. It's gorgeous. Mm. And I found that I was getting embarrassed over the Mm, house, and so people were coming over and you know, it's like my godmother came over, some childhood friends, and they'd see my house, and they'd be like, "Oh my goodness, wow! Like you're, you're doing really well for yourself." And I would suddenly go into this speech. I would be like, "Well, you know," and this is true. Look, I um, GE left Connecticut, and so all the prices are lower than they were, and <laughs> it so it was the perfect mm-hmm. time to buy. And yeah. I bought in the middle of winter, and so and I. It's almost like I had to justify yeah this house, and. And I, so I, I noticed myself doing this speech and and Lucas noticed it too. Like he'd kind of give me a look being like, you always go into that same, mm-hmm. like having to explain how we bought this house. So I kind of, I sat with it and I realized that when I was a child and my my parents were immigrants from Argentina, yes, they felt like they hit the jackpot. They were like, we have this great house, but it was very much paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I used to complain about about us being poor. And and my mom would always be like, you know, we're better off than most people, um, mm-hmm. c- especially coming from a different country. And she would say, well, you know what, there's pride in working hard for things. Those friends, they just get things easily. And, you know, yes, you have to get a job as a teenager to pay for your clothes, but there, there, there was like a sense of pride. And so there was this division between we're like the good guys. Like we're the mm-hmm. ones who, like I prided myself on not getting things easily. And right. so now as an adult, I have a house with a swimming pool. And part of me goes, oh, wait, I'm not one of those people, though. Like I'm not <laughs> one of those mm-hmm. rich people. Mm-hmm. And it was really eye opening. And I thought to myself, I got to I gotta keep myself in, in check with this because there can be, like luckily I've been okay, but there can be some, uh, you can begin to sabotage yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because when you don't really feel like
0: you're worth something th- or when you think exactly.
1: it's bad. Right, and it's, and it's, you know, what, so what are you attaching to this in terms of, what are you making it mean about you? And what are you projecting out onto others thinking that they're making it mean about you? Because really right. it's not even about them it's really what you believe it means. And then it's just being reflected back to you.
0: And they can, I'm sure that they're sincerely happy for me. I have great right. friends. I'm right. sure they're happy. But I still am <laughs> like, don't hurt me. I, I'm still a good person. You know, I, yeah. I, even though I have a house with a pool. So it was, it was so interesting to have that aha moment and just I think through life, we're always unfolding. We're always discovering these little things.
1: Yeah, it's true. And so, you know, it's really looking at this belief around something. It might be, you know, just drill down from what you were saying. As simple as, you know, I believe that in order to have, you know, in order to have nice things, I have to work hard.
0: Yeah, that's another one. You know, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, or that, you know, um, you know, if things come easily to me, it means I'm you know, it means I'm, it means that I, that I didn't earn it. You know, this whole belief of like, um, this whole thing around earning and it doesn't just show up around money, but it's the way that we actually believe we have to earn our
0: worth. Yes. And a lot of that comes from feeling like in order to be validated, we have to suffer. The more I suffer, the more more validation I'll get.
1: There it is. And so the house would be okay if you really were like, you know, on your knees, like scrubbing floors, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) Right.
0: It's so true. And so I feel like once you have an awareness, that's the first step, right? It's
1: definitely the first step. And that's why the first step in this, you know, in this book in worthy is about taking off the blinders because there's so much we don't want to look at, especially around our money. We want to keep our head in the sand you know i work with clients who go the full gamut from like not opening their you know credit card statements not not balancing their checkbook you know not wanting to look at anything you know then it runs the gamut all the way to people who you know are deeply in debt get out of debt get right back in debt because they actually are uncomfortable with having money with having money even in the bank to people who have money and want to hoard it and don't want to spend a dime, which my, um, my financial advisor who I finally went to when I finally realized I was worthy of having one, (laughs) you know, when she said to me, hoarding money is like planting frozen vegetables, expecting them to grow. And I thought that was brilliant. Right. (laughs) And, you know, all the way to, pe- you know, people who are working for themselves in business and really ch- afraid to charge what they're worth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different arenas that this starts bringing up, well, but and- we have to be willing to look.
0: Right, right. Well, and with that, I want to talk about resistance, because there's Mm -hmm. that resistance to Mm -hmm. looking. And I want to just read a a little paragraph from your book. Okay. Uh, You wrote, Debbie Ford defined resistance as an Mm -hmm. unconscious protective defense mechanism, a programmed reaction rather than a conscious choice. Now, you go on to say that in my case, I avoided learning about my 401k plan because I was unconsciously defending myself against looking stupid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, it's a great, you know, it's a great um, piece to pull out here. You know, I worked at Hay House for 12 years. I had, you know, I was doing very well. I had a great salary. Everything was awesome. And I did not have a 401k at Hay House because when I first came in, I didn't want anyone to know that I didn't know how that all worked. So I just decided to not do it. And really, what I did was I basically created a situation where there was like all this free money that I didn't get. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, be- just because of my pride, because of my, I mean, at that time, this was really big for me. I just didn't want anyone, I didn't want to ask for help from anyone. I didn't want to let anyone know that I didn't know something that I thought everyone else knew. Everyone else must know about 401Ks. I must be the only one who doesn't know about 401Ks. I'm not gonna look, I don't wanna look stupid and ask questions about this. And then, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, as it, as it turns out, um, because then, you know, several years later, I ended up getting divorced and because I was the breadwinner, I was responsible for a considerable maintenance settlement and because I didn't have a 401k, I didn't have to give him any of that. <laughs> so that was one good thing. <laughs> if I can look for a silver lining. <laughs> right,
0: right. But, I mean, this point is so important because when it comes it to finances, a few things. One, and you mentioned this as well, is that you think, well, I can only get a financial advisor or seek help yeah. if I have a lot of money.
1: Yeah, not true. Right. So not
0: true yeah and I even find out you know when with buying this house it was shocking how much I didn't know like I did not Mm -hmm. know I did not understand property taxes I almost fell over I was like really (laughs) Yeah. that much and it's those things that a lot of people get embarrassed about they get into trouble um, because they don't ask and I think it's important for everyone to know most people don't naturally know this unless they come from a family that openly talked about it yeah most people have to ask
1: It's true. And, you know, there was a I did a whole entire chapter in my book, Jump in Your Life Will Appear, around asking for help because it's true. It's such an integral piece of our own evolution, being able to draw on the strength and wisdom of others, because, you know, there's that saying of like, you know, our best thinking got us here. (laughs) Yeah. And that's as far as it goes.
0: (laughs) Right. So what would you say to someone who's struggling financially, but they feel so much Shame about it that they're embarrassed to ask for help
1: yeah um you know i I actually would first have them do some work in with themselves so that it's a truth telling exercise just within before they even actually go outside of themselves so whether it's journaling, which I think is the best thing to do <laughs> um, whether it's actually just not even necessarily meditating, but just being present with what's real, having themselves sit down and open the things that they haven't opened, compile a list of accounts, compile a list of balances due. You know, there's a whole checklist in the book in the first part about, you know, all the ways in which we are keeping our head in the sand. And the beauty of this for me was that I really wanted to make step one gentle. So I'm not even asking anyone to do anything, even though I'm all about action. The first step is really just being able, are you willing to open your eyes and see what you've been unable and unwilling to look at? And I think that's the most important first step before even, you know, getting a financial advisor or even telling anyone else. You know, because I think we first have to be able to tell the truth to ourselves, and then we can tell the truth to someone safe, and have that shame and guilt begin to dissipate because it can't live in the open air.
0: You know, that's so important to emphasize that yes. shame and guilt. Once you actually have a conversation, once you let yeah. it out, yeah, it's
1: it dissipates. It's exactly true. It can't it can't live in the open air there. So, you know. This really links into something that I see as core for so many of us, which is that we all think we have to hide something, some part of ourselves in order to be loved and accepted. And that's what starts to generate the shame and the guilt. And to me, being willing to just look at the truth and be with the truth of what is, is act- actually takes so much less energy than the hiding hmm That's so true. Yeah. And it really frees us up in a way to be available to possibilities that we had no idea could be waiting for us. And I've seen this time and time again.
0: My next question, Nancy, is it's similar to beliefs, um, mm-hmm. but can you tell us about underlying commitments? I can, because this is like my favorite thing yes. to talk about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It seriously is. Because for me, This was an enormous game changer in my own life. And whenever there is a discrepancy between what we say we want and what we're actually experiencing, we can be sure that there is an old, outdated, underlying commitment at play because the truth of the matter is we are incredibly capable of having and making happen what we're most committed to, we're really capable of having what we're most committed to. The problem is most of us have no idea what we're most committed to. So we think we're committed to what we say we want, but we're actually more committed to something else. So what this looks like, let's say I wanna start my own business. And I, I say I want to start my own business, I'm like working, I'm doing all these things to try to start my own business, and nothing moves, nothing ever happens. In doing the work around in underlying commitments, I can go back to childhood and see the ways in which I had a commitment, a promise I made, a survival strategy, a coping mechanism, likely under the age of 10, that had me be invisible had me i won't rock the boat in order to stay safe i'll stay quiet i'll be seen and not heard i'll stay small in order to stay safe and not draw too much attention to me so then you can start to see and this is like a dramatic example but i see it with my clients all the time and this is a really common this is a really common one we have a commitment to stay small out of sight and quiet and yet we have a desire to to be big to play big in the world so you see what i'm saying the discrepancy mm-hmm. there totally so it's like no matter what i do no matter how hard i try until i'm willing to uncover that old commitment see it for what it was be grateful, honor it for what it was and the way that it did keep me safe and the way that it, it was a strategy I needed at a certain time and yet be able to acknowledge that I no longer need the stronghold on it and what I need now is a new commitment that actually serves the vision I want to live into because when we have the clear vision, when we're working with that piece that we say we want and in this example, starting our own business, You know, when we stay connected to that vision, then it becomes, it becomes what ultimately drives our choices. So if we can get clear on the vision and then get clear on the commitment to the vision instead of the old commitment, and then make choices every day, because we're making hundreds of choices every day, (laughs) make choices every day that serve the vision instead of sabotage the vision, the vision. And that's really, this choice piece for me is critical because I believe that our present moment choice predicts our future. Our present moment choice is a crystal ball. So we can, in each moment, make choices that serve what it is that we want, or we'll make choices that sabotage us, but the important thing is to have the awareness. You know, and I see this with money, I see this with, you know, food, I see this with Drugs and alcohol. I see this with shopping. You know, it shows up across the board. What are the choices that we're making?
0: Right. So to be clear, the old commitment that you discovered Mm -hmm. was this commitment to stay small and not be seen for Mm. to stay safe. Yeah. Right.
1: To stay safe.
0: What are some other underlying commitments? The the old ones that you've seen come up often in clients.
1: They can be anything from commitments to being a caretaker, which was also a big one for me, commitments around people pleasing, mm. commitments around um, I have to be the grown up because my parent is sick or an addict, so a commitment to be, to being the grown up and taking care of everyone else anything yeah, that makes, Anyth- yeah anything that anything that was sort of a promise that we made to ourselves at a young age that when it gets uncovered we see that it's actually in the way it's actually an opposing force to what it is we want now
0: right but i think it's important to understand as we as we realize it's an opposing force that it was actually created as a protective defense mechanism It was
1: absolutely i mean it was absolutely created at that time to pr- to protect it was a it was a survival strategy
0: yeah and i you know you, you talk about about it and i think one of the reasons it's so important to emphasize is when we have that understanding then we don't have the game and the the guilt and the shame uh, because we understand, oh, I, I did this to help myself, not because I'm stupid, not because I'm wrong. Right. But because right. as a little child, I was just trying to help myself. But it's not, that strategy is not working anymore.
1: That's right. And, you know, I see this a lot with kids, with, with adults now who, as kids, were in some way um, abused. Because there there's, can often be a lot of guilt. And when we can get underneath and realize that there was a, that there had to be a commitment in place at that time to do, do whatever my father tells me, you know, or do whatever anyone asks of me, because that was what at the time kept them safe Mm -hmm. and they had to. But now as an adult, you know, one of my clients in particular, I'm thinking of, it's like, you know, the commitment really was I have to do whatever my father tells me to do as a child, because that's what kept her safe. But as an adult, she actually has choice to have a career other than what her father wanted her to go into.
0: Right. Right.
1: And yes. and it's deep, it's deep-rooted, deep level stuff. And it's not it's not, you know, for the faint of heart around that either. Because we have to really be willing to be seen. We have to be willing to claim our worthiness in these areas claim our life.
0: Before we started recording, you mentioned that you had an interview and one of the first things <laughs> the person said was, wow, this book is triggering. It's and I, I responded with, the best books are. Oh, I love it, yeah. Because if something's yeah. not triggering you, you're not growing, It's not. it's good to have that growing pain. And I think it's good to remember that being triggered or being uncomfortable isn't a bad thing, that's really how we move.
1: It's exactly how we move because anything that's triggering us is really just an invitation for us to go deeper within. It's just, it's just an invitation to have an expanded sense of our own evolution. Mm-hmm. And what else are we here for? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to talk about, uh, this kind of seems like on the other side of the spectrum, Yeah. Um, but bragging. Being excited, yes. celebrating yes. our success.
1: Uh, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> why is it
0: important to, you talk about having a bragging buddy. Why is mm-hmm. it important to actually talk about our success and, and, and brag about it and be proud of ourselves?
1: I think, you know, first of all, what I see time and time again, and I would say I see this with women more than men, is that we bond over suffering. Mm -hmm. And we want to go into the whole like, woe is me. And then we want to like one up the woe (laughs) (laughs) like, oh, you know, oh, this has happened to me. And then it's like, oh, you think that's bad. Let me tell you what happened to me. Like there's all that. And then there's the whole piece around like the commiserating over, you know, still wearing like busy as a as a badge of honor you know the all these kinds of things that we want to complain about and so especially in my in my coaching groups i bring in big time the whole idea of bragging and sharing our successes without shame because you know just like you were talking about your house mm-hmm. like there 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 is a there is a success embedded in you having your house right and yet not that you have to run around bragging about your house, but even just being able to be with the house instead of going to the place of, oh, it was, you know, blah, 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 justifying and rationalizing it. Exactly. Which is, which is the voice of shame talking. So we actually want to have the voice of success having airtime too, because it's important to have a safe place for us to be able to share the good and to be received in our good and to have the re- it being reinforced, the good, and to also realize that when others can't receive us in that, like by not sharing our good because we're fearing other people not receiving us, it's their stuff, not ours. Yes. And that... You know, just like we're dealing with our shadow beliefs and our underlying commitments and our excuses and our all this, so is everybody. <laughs> yeah, like it's a wonder any of us can actually be in relationship. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and as you talk about this, the bragging buddy and taking the time to to celebrate our successes, I think it's equally as important to talk about being on the other side, being the other buddy, where we're able to be in a place where we can hear our friends' success and feel happy for them. Because what I find is if we are jealous and we are not happy for our friends, then when we are successful, we fear the way that we've behaved towards other people.
1: It's so incredibly, incredibly true. And you know, here's the thing, I think it's all about lessening the recovery time so that you know, and really jealousy is a beautiful emotion to work with because what jealousy is showing us is, are the ways in which we are not owning our own light because whatever we are jealous of in someone else, whatever quality it is, you know, if we sort of look at the behavior, look at the object and then sort of drill down into like really what is, what is the quality that we are admiring ultimately because that's really what it is we're we're admiring or we want to emulate in some way but we think this zero sum game of if they have it I'll never have it and we have to be able to see oh if I see this quality in someone else it exists within me too and so this is the opportunity for me to actually cultivate and hone in on that quality in me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more we celebrate other people's successes, <gasps> the easier I, it is for us. You know us. what?
1: I'm just, I'm going to share this with you because I can't not, and it's so perfect. Yeah. And I'm just going to like, this is, this is so, <laughs> this is so transparent, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share it anyway. Okay. Okay. So I have, I have a friend, um, who actually lives in Boulder, where I live, we're, we actually, we only just met last week. We hadn't met in person, but we, we were sort of one degree separated by a million different people. And we'd been on email and connected. And she sent me, she, wa- she asked me if I would give her a quote for her book. And she sent me the galley and I was dumbstruck. The book is called The Art of Money and it's a gorgeous book and it just came out and it's beautiful. And it's called The Art of Money. And, but I was like, oh my God, she wrote a book called The Art of Money. My book's about money. Her book's coming out a month before mine. You know, I went into this whole spiral. Oh my God, I can't give her a quote. I don't want my people to read her book because it's coming out first. Like, I really, I went into this whole, like, there's not enough. And then I was like, okay, Nancy, (laughs) let's let's do a little bit of work on this. But I mean, I really say this because I want to say that like, it's. I don't know that we're ever completely absolved of this. It's about the recovery time. And it's mm. about the awareness of, okay, before I go down the rabbit hole with this, let me, let me check. Let me check in here. Let me see what's really going on here. What's the deep-rooted fear that's having me be activated? And I was able to like move through all of this and really appreciate her book is beautiful. It's well-written. It's lovely. And it's very different from my book and really be with the like joy of her book. I gave her a quote, the book came out and we met last week in person, totally like long lost sisters, totally love each other. And then this morning it was actually announced on her website that, Oprah.com was publishing an excerpt of her book. And I have to tell you that I genuinely felt joy. There wasn't like a tinge of anything bad. It was like, wow, this is so great for her. Right. And really the place of, you know, this is just another, this is just like another opening, another door, more people having an interest in this topic, which I think is, you know, is scary for a lot of people and she makes it you know she makes it less scary and i was really able to see in that moment wow in like from 3 months ago to now how different the experience was for me right. and that's what i mean to me that's what we're going for like that's the growth that's the movement and I I, sh- I had no idea. I mean, my God, I would never in a million years think I would have just shared this like publicly, yes. but but I do because I really want everyone to know that, you know, there isn't sort of some, some like p- place we're trying to reach where nothing affects us anymore.
0: I love that you're talking about recovery time mm-hmm. simply because the other pattern I see, especially for people who love self-help, is mm-hmm. that an issue comes up. And Mm -hmm. they suddenly say, oh, I messed up again. I failed again. Right. Without realizing it's just an opera. These issues, I mean, having challenges come up is part of the human experience. How boring would our life be if we were never triggered by anything? Like, we wouldn't grow. I'd sit by my pool all the time.
1: I know which some people say is good, but no, I'd be so bored.
0: I know,
1: I know. But it's it's so true. You know, it's funny. Like when I was when I had just left my marriage and I was on my own, I had been doing all this work. It's when I did, you know, it's when I did the bulk of my coaching certification. It's when I did the bulk of really deep work, working with a coach too. And I was like, oh, I'm woman, hear me roar. I got this. I'm not triggered anymore. I've got it all figured out. I've got it all handled. And then what happened is I got a boy boyfriend and man <laughs> like trigger every day because when we rub up against another human being literally and figuratively <laughs> there's no there's no way around it right because i happen to also believe that we are in relationship to, as a, relationship is an evolutionary practice, relationship is a growth oriented practice, and that we're in relationship to continue to be able to reveal parts of ourselves and continue to heal and it's funny, you know what you were saying about the recovery time because just you know I was on a trip, I came back, and it's always you know like a little funky the first day we're coming back together and whatever, and then you know and it it kind of didn't go exactly as planned, but it was fine, but I thought to myself, oh, i'm going away again. And the next time I come back, here are the things I want to do differently. Mm-hmm. Like I was already excited yes. to get the, the next opportunity to do something differently. And that for me is a huge shift because the old me would have just sat there and beat myself up for screwing up, for doing it wrong. You know, that, that's what so many of us are. We're just ready to self-flagellate at any moment.
0: Right. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's sad. It makes me laugh, but it's very sad.
1: Yeah, it is. It is because I think, you know, we spend so much energy beating ourselves up and thinking that we're wrong and thinking that we did it wrong and thinking that we can't do it right. And the fact of the matter is that if we sort of, you know, just be in acceptance of what is and really sort of surrender the strong, our strong f- will hold that it needs to be any other way or any certain way, then we actually have far less suffering.
0: Right. So true. And it
1: doesn't mean that we can't, you know, make change or want change. We can. But I think so much of, you know, so much of, um, it's really just debilitating ultimately the way that we, the way that we hold ourselves down like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I love this. I mean, this is gonna be a new part. And great two new words in my vocabulary. Great. Recovery, great. Time. recovery time.
1: Recovery time. It. Recovery time. It's brilliant. Yeah,
0: yeah, good. Uh, Nancy, there are a few questions I like to ask first-time guests. Yes. All right. So the first question is can you share something in your life that at the time seemed horrible, but in the end became a big blessing? Oh.
1: I can share I I can share many, but the one that like immediately comes out to me is actually, um, my divorce (laughs) Mm -hmm. and all, all the pieces around it. I mean, I thought it was the worst experience of my life. I thought it would be the end of me. I thought it would ruin me. I thought, you know, just the exposure of it and all of it would be, um, it was so devastating. And yet it is, it has literally been the, most catalytic experience I've ever had. It has literally changed my life, changed the tra- the trajectory of my life.
0: Yeah, that's one in a way that I
1: couldn't have possibly imagined.
0: Yeah. The next question is: What is something that no one would know about you unless they went to middle school with you? So, like <laughs> middle school, Nancy.
1: Oh, good God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is good actually. Um, no one would know that i that i actually had my mom write me a note to get out of gym class like every day, so it was as if I had my period every single day <laughs> to to get out of gym class. But like you love
0: l- exercise. How did? But that- it's different. Yeah. It's different now. I didn't
1: then. Oh my god. And I like I purposely like didn't ever have sneakers with me. I only had my clogs. So then they wouldn't actually let me like go out on the field and run and do things anyway. But I just like I did anything I could to avoid the whole like PE scene in middle school.
0: Well, I, you're not the only one, you're not, you're not alone. <laughs> traumatic. I'm traumatic. Yeah. I mean, what is it
1: about PE? But oh, man,
0: it's tough. Traumatic, traumatic. Um, what, uh, what do you do when you just want to let loose and have fun?
1: Oh, I like this
0: question. Um, hop on my mountain bike. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. All right. And the final question, if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? This is a big one. Wow. That's
1: such a good one. Um, I would be a dog. Because? Because I just, it's just the whole unconditional love piece. Um, I've had three, I've had, I mean, three dogs as an adult and then grew up with dogs and there's just... There's just a um, reciprocal, unconditional love piece that I um, that I just so appreciate, and that I love that there's no sort of having to prove anything.
0: Right, it's a practical choice too. You get you get free breakfast and dinner. True, very true.
1: Right, I don't have to go hunt, Right, I don't have to go like hunt my own food or
0: anything like right, that. Right, right. Uh, but you know, that's the most common one is dogs, which I was <laughs> it very is? surprised. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a common answer, but it makes complete sense. They are just so lovable and in the moment.
1: Lovable in the moment, and they like just a lot of snuggling and cuddling and, you know, get to be like, I mean, I I guess I should even preface like I want to be a dog like in the mountains so I can like... You want to be your dog in the mountains. I want to be my dog in the mountains. Thank you. (laughs) Jessica, let's just call it real. I want to be my dog in the mountains so I can just go out and like hike on a mountain trail and roll around in the snow and swim in a mountain stream and all that. That's what I want to do.
0: I love it. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for being with us. Where can people get your book?
1: People can go to, the best The best place to go, and I'll tell you why, is if you go to nancylevin.com backslash worthy. So nancylevin.com backslash worthy, you will be able to get five totally exclusive bonuses when you order the book there that will be deliverable right away, instantly to you. So... I hope that you will do that and take advantage of these awesome bonuses that I've created for you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Nancy. And thank you for spending time with us today. It was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks, Jessica.